From the campus of Cedarville University, this is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's program. Now, we normally come your way from Franklin, Tennessee. However, today, we've packed the studio into a bus and we've hit the road to Cedarville. But even though our location is different, our goal for the next hour is the same as always. We're here to study the Word together with Michael and discover truth in how we live out our relationships with Christ in community and in creativity. Uh, Michael, the only real difference in today's program is the fact that we have this rather intimate audience with us here today. That's great. <laughs> uh, maybe we should let uh, the listeners know that the audience really is here, and maybe the way that you do that is just to say hello to Michael and welcome him to Cedarville. Would you do that for me? Thank you. And he's looking very cool in that uh, yellow Cedarville University sweatshirt, I might add, you know by how the I got way, this. as well. I wore my Bethel College <laughs> t-shirt here. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do that. Um, Michael, this is a concert this afternoon, and we're going to hear a little more music than we normally do on our weekly radio program, but uh, we also will be hearing a song from your yet-to-be-released CD called mm -hmm. A Fragile Stone, so that's going to be a special treat mm -hmm. to get to hear that today. And later, your song Underneath the Door, and we'll talk about the influence of our home on us. But your new book and CD, forthcoming, is on Simon Peter. That's right. And that's what we'll open the word to here in just a moment. But before we open the word, we're going to ask you to sing your first song on the program for us here today. This is a favorite. It's called Chorus of Faith. Michael Card in the studio. Sing it with your life. Sing with your heart. Make melody with the words of your mouth. Remind that you listen. Tell it to others. Hear the of faith, live the chorus of faith. The first note of the song split the darkness and was sung by the planets and stars. And there Sing it with your life, sing with your heart, make melody. 
Thank you, Michael. We're going to turn now to the Scriptures in John chapter 1. I'll ask you to read that in just a moment, Mike, but um, I'll remind our listeners that I have a uh, wireless microphone here in the auditorium, and I'll be coming to our audience here today if you'd like to interact with Michael on this passage. And as Michael reads the passage, look for uh, the details of the passage. Look for questions that perhaps pop out of the passage for you. And then just raise your hand and let me know, and if you can kind of get to one of the center aisles, I'll get to you as quickly as I can. But we talk a lot about the disciplined use of the imagination. The disciplined use of the imagination. Let's use that now as we read the Scripture together. Mike, will you read in John chapter 1? This is John 1, uh, verses 35 through 42, uh, Jesus choosing the first disciples. The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. So they were perfectly prepared by John. Jesus looked around and saw them following. These are our first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently At Simon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be Cephas, which means Peter. I'll ask our audience for their questions in just a moment, Michael, but you emphasize so beautifully there that Jesus, looking intently at Simon, what do you think he saw when he he looked at Simon Peter? Well, that's that's a loaded question because the Greek word that John uses and that Luke will later use when we look in Luke 22, very specific term is the Greek word emblepo. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 when he says, consider the lilies of the field. It means to look at and sort of know what you see, to look at with your mind, to gaze intently. Uh, NIV usually translates it, Jesus looks straight at. But I think there's more going on than that. Jesus saw Peter with his soul, with his mind. He saw everything that uh, Peter was or ever would be, saw his potential. And John tells us that Jesus has this ability without asking any, anybody who someone is. Jesus knows who they are and, and knows all about them. So it, I, I always go back to the question, what was it like to have Jesus look at me? I mean, if, if we had been contemporaries of Jesus, what would it f- have felt like to have this man focus his gaze on us? And uh, so that's why we're looking at these two examples of when Jesus looked intently in Bleppo, when he, he, when he gazed at, when he saw with understanding who Simon Peter was. I'll defer to my questions to those of you in the audience here. And by the way, those of you in the balcony, you kind of have to make your way down to the main floor if you have a question and find me down here. But I'd be more than happy if anyone has a question. Just raise your hand and let me know as we go along. But I have another one for you. 
uh, one of the details in this text is yeah. the time of day. Yeah. Four o'clock in the afternoon. Come and mm -hmm. see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place and they stayed there the rest of the day. Why are we given that detail in Scripture, do you believe? Well, John does this to us every now and then. For example, when, the, when Jesus is anointed, John will say, and the smell of the perfume filled the house. And details like that have, I think, no other purpose than that we engage with our imagination and are there. We know what four o'clock feels like, four o'clock in the afternoon. We know what it's like when the smell of perfume or the smell of cooking fills the house. Uh, I, I think it's there for us to engage with our imaginations. They spent the whole afternoon with him. And it's also an eyewitness detail. It lets you know that the person writing this uh, account, John himself, I mean, he's there. Any, anybody that can tell a story in such great, great detail, he knows that they were 100 yards you know, from the shore uh, in John 21. He knows how many fish were caught. He has all this wonderful eyewitness detail. So it helps us to be there. Yeah. Jesus calls him Simon. Does he ever call him Peter? No, he doesn't. That's, in, that's interesting. Simon is, is probably the most common name in, uh, in, in Palestine right at, at this time. Very, very common name. Uh, Peter is not a name. Uh, and, and Jesus having given Peter, I think this is actually a title uh, in the way Christ is a title. I think Peter is a title. Uh, but Jesus never calls him Peter. He always calls him Simon. He only, be, he only becomes uh, Peter really in Acts. He, he, you know how uh, Jesus, uh, the, the, the title Christ eventually becomes Jesus' name and we'll call him Christ? I think that's what happens with Peter. Eventually, like in Acts and later on, we call him Peter. But it's a title, I think. We have a question here in the audience, Michael. Give us your name and ask your question. All right. Hey, first off, thanks for being here, Michael. Thank uh, you. My name's Bill Copas. Bill. And... Uh, as we go through the rest of the Gospels, not just in John, but throughout, we learn a lot more about Peter. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's safe to say that at this point, while Jesus is looking intently at him, Peter's sizing him up as well? Mm -hmm. This is the Christ. This is the one I'm going I'm to put all my eggs in his basket, and mm -hmm. this is the one who's supposed to deliver us from Rome. Uh, you think there is kind of a squaring up of each other at that point? Th that is a wonderful question um, because... Jesus' uh, relationship with Peter is uh, unique. Peter is the only other fully formed character in the gospel besides Peter. I mean, so many of the stories that we say are Jesus and the disciples are really a story of Jesus and Peter. The washing of the disciples' feet is really a story about the washing of Peter's feet, you know. Um, and I think squaring off is a good way to put it uh, because their relationship, Peter is the only one that says no to him. You know, numerous times he says no to him. Uh, Jesus says harsher things to Peter than he says to anyone else. And uh, I think there is a, a real, a genuine give and take. And you almost think that maybe, maybe Jesus likes this. I mean, this is a person who will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, disagree with him, rebuke him. Nobody else rebukes <laughs> Jesus but Peter. Uh, when Jesus says he's, he's going to be crucified, Peter takes him aside and says, this is never going never gonna to happen to you. So their, their relationship is, I think, unique. And I think of it in terms of um, Jesus, I mean, Peter being, really being the first. And if we're going to learn to be his disciples, I think it's that relationship that means so much. And, and maybe that means we can, we can square off with Jesus. We can, he can take our anger. He can take our, the give and take of relationship, I think, you know. 
I don't know. Maybe That's a good question. Thank you. There. Those of you who have questions, we'll try to come to you in a few minutes. But let's pause here. We're going to open to in Luke where Jesus saw Simon at the time of uh, Simon's denial of Christ. Yeah, and we'll 22. turn there in a few moments. If you want to look ahead of time, it's Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 54. But let's pause here. Uh, this is a brand new song. I haven't even heard this song, Michael. Uh -huh. This is called The Gaze, yes. correct? And it's this called will, His Gaze. His Gaze, yeah. all right. And it will be on the forthcoming A Fragile Stone yeah. album. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and this, this is that uh, basically a, a lengthy definition of that word in Blepo.
A wonderful song, Michael, called His Gaze. It'll be on the new album coming out, A Fragile Stone. Before we go on to uh, the Luke passage, this gentleman has a question for your name and then your question, sir. Uh, my name is Rick, and uh, Michael, what I was thinking about, you were speaking of uh, Peter's, really his openness and his honesty before Christ, and that Christ looking at that, it made me think of, of David in the Old Testament and how through the Psalms, we see so much of David's heart and his thoughts pour out. And I wonder if you could speak to just how much God wants us to be honest with him about all that we feel all the time, mm -hmm. not just the happy times in church, but how we really feel about hmm. what we experience. That's a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, well, obviously, one of the dumbest things you can do is try to hide something from God. To pretend you're okay when you're not okay is kind of a dumb thing because he knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. David is a good example, and, and Peter is a good example, too. Um, I think we're going to look at this denial passage, um, and, and we'll talk about um, um, the whole emotionality of that, that it's not simply cowardice. There's something much, much uh, more compli complicated going on. I think Peter is a much more complex person emotionally than we've given him credit for. Uh, but he is certainly a person who sort of lets it all hang out. You, you know where Peter is. And I don't know about you, but those are the sort of people I prefer. I know where I am. I mean, if you don't like me, I, let me know. Don't smile at me. If you don't like me, frown at me, and we'll know sort of where we stand. And that's, that kind of honesty, uh, like I said before, we've got to have that with God because he knows anyway. Um, Abraham, I think, is another one who's very honest in terms of... Uh, uh, you know, he's friends with God, and I think that sort of intimate friendship uh, demands honesty. And Abraham, I think, is a very important character in understanding Peter because I think that's what the whole Petros stone business is about. When Jesus calls him Peter, calls him the rock, and, you know, how many sermons have you heard, oh, Peter, the rock, solid, secure? There's nothing about that. I mean, that's not what Jesus is implying at all. Jesus is simply implying, you're something I'm going to build with. Okay, it's not so, so much that you're this very firm stone. I think what he has in mind is a passage in Isaiah 51 that talks about Abraham. It says, look to your father Abraham, the rock from which you were cut. So Abraham is called a rock in the Old Testament. And what that tells me, I think, is that Peter will be for the, for the New, Testa New Testament community what Abraham was for the Old Testament community, uh, not in the sense of a pope, but in the sense we, we, as his disciples, we sort of find a corporate identity in Peter. Um, Peter is the first one. He really is the, the first disciple, first preacher, first miracles, first one to preach to the Gentiles, first, first person to do anything. And, um, and then he invites us. It's wonderful in Second Peter. He says, come be living stones. You know, we're all Petros, Pet Petroi. We're all rocks that Christ is building Peter is just the first one that Jesus picked up and, and, and uh, built with. So, Michael, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. If you'll allow me, let me uh, turn now our attention to Luke chapter 22, and we'll read from starting at verse 54. This is speaking of Jesus. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's residence, and Peter was following far behind. The guards lit a fire in the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know the man. 
After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, someone else insisted, This must be one of Jesus' disciples because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And as soon as he said these words, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's the word. Then Peter remembered the Lord had said, Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And Peter left the courtyard crying bitterly. Mm. So it was that, that moment of their eyes meeting that broke Peter's heart. And here's, I think, a place where we've looked very superficially at Peter. I mean, the classic thing is, oh, he always puts his foot in his mouth, old, impetuous Peter. And like I said, I think he's a much more complicated person than that. I think what happens in, in, the, in Gethsemane, um, Peter, uh, oh, how do I say this? If you look at the very first commentators on this whole event, and the church fathers, they all talk about how bizarre it was that Peter was brave in the face of the soldiers, but he, he cowered before this little girl at the gate, you know, who he denies Jesus uh, before. And so uh, I think through the ages we've sort of thought, well, isn't, it, isn't that bizarre? One minute he's very courageous, the next minute he's afraid, he's a coward. And I don't think that's it at all. I, I think it's despair. I think Peter is in the garden, and there's no question that he is courageous, courageous to the point of foolishness. Because what you need to know is that there is a cohort of soldiers in the garden. A cohort is from two to 600 soldiers, armed soldiers. Peter is ready to jump in the middle of this bunch. He's the only one and start flailing away with his sword. There's no question of the bravery, I think, of Simon. Now, the, the common sense is in question, but the bravery, he's certainly a brave person. But then what happens? He sees Jesus. He's ready to fight with Jesus, right? You can almost see him looking back and waiting for Jesus to speak the word and, you know, call down fire and everyone gets, you know, blown away. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus uh, surrenders. And there were three things that Peter thought the Messiah would never do. The Messiah would never submit. The Messiah would never serve. The Messiah would never surrender. And Jesus has done all these things in just the course of a few minutes. He served them. That's, you know, Peter is the one that, that uh, won't let his feet be washed. He's just seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking with Moses and Elijah. Would you let Jesus wash your feet if you had seen him? I wouldn't. So it's not old, impetuous Peter. But, but what happens? He sees Jesus give up. He sees Jesus bound. And he realizes, I don't know this man. And I think the reason he denies in, in Caiaphas' Caiaphas's courtyard is despair. Kierkegaard said that despair is the sin that leads to all other sin. He called it the sickness unto death. And I think Peter despaired. I, when, I, I think when he said, I don't know him, I think there's part of that despair in it. You know, I, I don't know this man. I, I was ready to fight with him, but, you know, I was ready to kill other people for him, <laughs> not necessarily die for him, but that comes later with Peter. We just have a minute here, Michael, but we, as we end that reading, we end with Peter weeping or crying mm -hmm. bitterly. Yeah. And, and I don't want to leave it there because the Scriptures give us hope. That's not where we're left, is it? No, it's not, and, and that's certainly not where the Scriptures leave us with Peter. We see, well, first of all, there was, a, there was a, 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 an appearance of Jesus to Peter that is not recorded anywhere in the Gospels. 
Paul refers to it. Uh, it, it it's, it's alluded to in, in, in one of the Gospels, but we don't have the content of that meeting. And I think there are a lot of good maybe guesses as to why the gospel writers didn't tell us about this meeting. But basically, Peter and Jesus must have had a lot of business, emotional and, and uh, relational to deal with. But Peter is a changed man. When we open Acts, we see a man who is broken in the best sense of the word, a stone, you know, who is broken in the best sense of the word. I would like to ask you to sing for us here, and the song that we would like to hear is the song of hope, because it looks past Peter's denial, it looks mm -hmm. past our denial, and it says, love crucified arose. Mm -hmm. Will you sing that for sure. us, Michael? That's one I actually know. <laughs> of homeless wandering cast out in sorrow's way the shepherd seeking for the lost his life the price he'd pay love crucified arose the risen one in splendor Jehovah's sole defender has won the victory Love crucified arose And the grave became a place of hope For the heart that sin and sorrow broke Is beating once again Throughout your life you felt the weight Of what you'd come to give To drink for us that crimson cup so we might really live at last the time to love and die the dark appointed day that one forsaken moment when your father turned his face away love crucified arose the risen one in splendor Jehovah's soul defender has won the victory of crucified arose and the grave became a place of hope for the heart that sin and sorrow broke is beating once again Listening to a special edition of In the Studio with Michael Card, recorded before a live audience at Cedarville University. You can find out more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry by going online at www.michaelcard.com and email your comments to us at in the studio at michaelcard.com. Coming up in the second half, we'll hear more music from Cedarville University here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Welcome back in the studio with Michael Card. Actually, our program coming to you from Cedarville University today here on the campus of Cedarville. 
And we have a lovely audience here today. Great to have you all here. Thank you for being a part of our program. I failed to mention in the first half of today's broadcast that there's a third member of our team. Actually, there are four of us. So Joe Carlson's our unseen and unheard producer. But also seen, uh, seen to us in the audience and heard on radio is Ken Lewis, our good friend who's here playing percussion. And Michael, I know you guys are good friends. We've been friends for over 15 years on the road and uh, friends at home. He's, he lives in Franklin as well. Uh, good friend, a good brother. We'll have a chance to talk with Ken here in a few moments. There was a song that I heard you sing for the first time maybe a year or a year and a half ago, and I was deeply moved when the first time I heard you sing this song. Uh, explain uh, the Underneath the Door song, where it came from. Well, Wayne, I've never written a song like this, and I hope I never have to write another song like this. Um, this is not the kind of song, this is not the kind of music I write. This is a, more of a... a Bob Bennett writes these kinds of songs really well. Song, I mean, Bob will see a penny on the street and pick it up and write a song about grace, you know, that's good. Uh, I don't do that. Um, this, but this is a song from my own experience, which, which I've never been much into writing songs about. But somebody dared me to write this song, and dare has a powerful influence over the weak-minded. Um, uh, the song uh, it has lots of... It's not a very good song. I'll just tell you that. And th this is why. It's too complicated. There are too many ideas, and it has to be explained. If I don't explain this song, you won't get it. Sort of like a joke. A bad joke you have to explain before you tell. A bad song you have to explain before you sing. But that's not going to stop me. I'm sure you're all very ready and excited to hear this song now. Um, one of the ideas in the song is... I guess it's my key idea outside of, uh, you know, a biblical quote. This is uh, an idea that means more to me than anything, and it was taught to me by William Lane. The idea is this. In order to really love someone, the best way to love someone is to listen to them. The best way to really love someone is to listen to them. So husbands, you want to love your wives? Stop doing things for them and listen to them. Wives, you want to love your husbands? Stop doing things for them, rushing around doing things for them, and listen to them. You really want to love your children? Stop buying them things. The kids all say, what? What did he just say? <laughs> you really want to love your kids? Listen to them, because the best way to love someone is to listen to them. You really want to love God? Stop doing things for him and listen to him. So that's an idea in the song. Lots of ideas in the song, but basically it came from an experience I had growing up. My father was a doctor. He knew from the time he was seven years old he was going to be a doctor. He practiced medicine for 52 years. When my dad was 82 years old, he still had over 5,000 patients on file. He was everybody's doctor where we lived, which I used to great advantage. I was Dr. Card's son. Uh, you get, try to get a check cashed, you know, oh, you're Dr. Card's son. Oh, sure. No ID, you know, you're fine. Uh, you you want to get a date, you know, you go to a girl's parents. I'm Dr. Card's son. And the girls, oh, but mommy, he's such a geek. I don't want <laughs> And the girls would say, or the parents would say, but that, that's Dr. Card's son. So we, we use 
what we've been given, right? <laughs> but my dad would leave every morning at 4.30, and he would go make early rounds in the hospital. That's where the doctors go around and wake everybody up and ask them how they're resting. <laughs> then, he would, um, then he would go to the office and see patients all day. Then he would come home at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. He would come home, and that's when we ate supper because my mother knew that was the only time we'd ever see him, and she was right. That was the only time we saw him. He would come home, and he was always tired, as you can imagine, and he was almost always angry. But let me make perfectly clear, he never yelled at us. He's a very gentle man, my father. Uh, never hit us, only spanked me one time, one spanking in my whole life, and I really didn't need that one. <laughs> I was 12 hopefully getting into the non-spanking era of life, the let's talk about it. I should spank you, but you're big enough. We should talk about it era. And my sister, who's three years older, who needed lots of spankings, um, she reminded him that he'd never spank me and time was slipping away. And, <laughs> and she, quoted, she quoted a verse from the Bible about the rod to him, and he bought it. So a couple of days later, on a completely trumped-up charge, <laughs> I got my only spanking, my only spanking, and it wasn't much of a spanking, and he cried. That's the sort of father I had. He would come home, he was always tired, and he was always angry, uh, and he would go into his study and lock the door. And I still don't know what he was doing in there. As I, you know, try in my own very f fragile, fallen way to be a father, I think that maybe he was asking the Lord to help him be whatever it is he thought we wanted him to be. I don't know. I think dads, we pray that prayer a lot. But anyway, this is where the song came from. When I was a little boy, I used to get down on my hands and knees, and I used to talk to him underneath the crack of the door. There are pictures of me doing this in my diaper. And I would stick my fingers under the door and I'd wiggle them at him. How are you in there? See, it's supper time. And it's a, I know it's a silly image and my mother still brings these pictures out at the most inappropriate times and shows them to people. But I have a friend who knows me very well and he knows this story about me and he looked at me once and said, I just figured out who you are. And I said, I need to know this information. He said, you're still that little boy. He said, that's how you communicate with everybody. And sometimes it can be irritating. He said, you're always trying to pull people in and get them to listen to your idea. And he's right. I am that way. I'm still that little boy. And I will do anything to make you listen to me. I'll sit up here and wiggle my fingers for you. You know why? Because God never wastes anything. God uses everything, especially the hurtful times, especially our fragileness and our fallenness and our sin even, because it's just about all he's got to work with. So that's the point of this song. Uh, it's, not that, uh, it's not about me. The point of this song is for you to look back in your experience and to ask God to show you what those times were and to help you understand how he's using those hurtful times to, to gentle you for the gospel, 
to make you more like him. Because Hebrews says even Jesus learned through what he suffered. It's the best reason for praising him that I can think of. His name is Redeemer. The hurts in our past are not a waste. He, he uses them. And uh, I, I, I praise him for that. I thank him for that. And so I want you to sort of do this in your own situation if you haven't already. That's basically the song. My father was a doctor who would come home late at night with a soul so bruised and bleeding from his unending faithful fight to keep a hold of kindness in a world that isn't kind to hold out the hope of healing to his hurting humankind then he'd flee back to his study to his bookish quiet place with notes and books and journals to wall in his special space and then he'd lock the door from things that cannot be locked out and his youngest son would starve for what he would always do without but it was meant to make me who down on his knees full of hope and full of fear calling underneath the door this is me it's who I am for we love the best by listening when we try to understand desperate stubby fingers pushing pictures neath the door and longing to be listened to by the man that I adored inside someone who needed me just as much as I did him still unable to unlock the door that stayed closed inside of him and it strains the way we tend to flee from what we need the most that a father would lock out his son when his heart would hold him close. But our wounds are part of who we are and there is nothing left to chance. And pain's the pen that writes the songs and they call us forth to dance. I know that song from Michael Card touched some of you deeply, and I'd, I'd like to get some of your reactions here in the audience if I can in just a moment. So if you give some thought to that, I'll come to you if you'll let me know who you are with an upraised hand. But Michael, you're right. The song has a sense of sadness about it, but God can even take that, that, those sad episodes, that suffering, and he can turn it for our good. That's what the song is all about. Yeah, it is. And I think part of the process is, is looking back and, and maybe uh, experiencing the sadness of it. I think... There's, there's an appropriateness to mourning uh, times in our lives that, that aren't fixable. I mean, uh, there's something that your father does in you 
that no one else can do. People who know me say, well, God gave you William Lane. He was your father. Well, that was true. He was a father in the faith. But uh, some things aren't fixable. And, uh, and I think it's appropriate to mourn those things and then certainly to realize that God uses them and he redeems them. Uh, I think that's the process. I think for most of us, we just sort of, at least I sort of stuff it and uh, forget about it and that sort of thing, which is, I don't think, maybe the way to do it. Of course, we, we're not all supposed to become navel gazers either. That's not the point. Mike, my name's Roger Daly, and again, I'd like to welcome you. Um, Thanks. I admire so much your, uh, the wisdom that the Lord has blessed you with, looking into his word and the way you write. But I disagree with you on one point. I think that that last song is one of the best songs you've ever written. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Roger. And there are things in our lives, you know, sometimes songs say different things, obviously, to different ones of us. Mm -hmm. um, my oldest son is 34, and uh, mm -hmm. he needs the Lord very much. He spent... Uh, seven years incarcerated. Uh, he seems to, on the surface, have his life together now and has uh, a three-year-old and another one on the way. And, but it seems to me, as I look back, uh, this song here and uh, the old song, Cats in a Cradle, mm -hmm. uh, my son and I had just haven't been able to connect since he was three years old. Uh, it's a sad thing. I love him, and I know he loves me. Um, and we can never seem to communicate, break down that wall. And not, maybe that's why this song means so much mm -hmm. to me, but I just uh, I appreciate it and appreciate you mm -hmm. for being here. Bless well, you. Thank you. Go ahead, Mike. Let's pray for Roger and, and anyone else who wants to include their own situation in this prayer. I mean, this will be for all of us, but let's pray. Let, let us pray for you, brother. Father, thank you for our brother, and uh, we stand against the enemy that would destroy uh, the relationship of a father and a son, and it's not too late for them uh, because Roger's still here. So we pray uh, for you, Lord Jesus, to do uh, your thing and to, to, break, uh, to break that stronghold, uh, to, to break through the wall that's between uh, these two men, uh, to draw his son close to you and, and close to his Father. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would just display your nature as Redeemer in this home and that you would be well-worshipped and glorified uh, through what's going to happen. So we, we lay this uh, relationship, these two men, before your feet and ask you uh, to be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of us are struggling with that, and I think that's why it's it's a, it's always good to then look at the look at the life of Jesus, go to the scriptures, and find what you need. And that's the wonderful thing about the scriptures: what you need is there, what you need is there, and it's not always easy. It's not an easy fix. In fact, it usually isn't an, an easy fix. But I pray that your son, you guys, will be, be reunited. Michael, you've got the guitar there. Um, will you sing that song, Home? Sure. Well, I think it would be the perfect song for us to hear right now at this point in the program. In a moment, maybe we'll have an opportunity to uh, talk with Ken Lewis about these things, too, your, your partner here. 
Ken on percussion. And by the way, Ken has so many interesting instruments in front of him, doesn't he? He's, he's not just a drummer, he's a percussionist. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. this song before I was married. This sounds like a married person singing, but I was, I was single when I wrote this for a friend who was having trouble in a marriage. So I don't know why I had, felt like I had to confess that to you, but didn't want to deceive you. <laughs> home is a comfort and home is a light. A place to leave the darkness outside Home is a peaceful and ever full feeling A place where a soul safely hides And being at home should remind you that still There's a place that's prepared just for you And I think my home is just heaven's reflection as long as my home's here with you home is where someone is waiting and loving and happy to see you again that half of your heart that somebody else treasures the one who's your forever friend but it seems that he's told me the life that he's showing me is a life mostly spent on the road but when the world's empty charm has done all of its harm i know that his love waits for me in your arms Cause home is a comfort And home is a light A place to leave the darkness outside Home is a peaceful And ever full feeling A place where a soul safely hides When being at home should remind you still there's a place that's prepared just for you and I think my home is just heaven's reflection as long as my home's here with you Our time is getting short, and Michael's going to sing one more song on today's program for us, but uh, have just a moment to talk to Ken. Ken, thanks for being with us today. I'm going to put you on the spot, though, Michael's song about home. How do you feel about that? Oh, I love home. I've got uh, a beautiful wife, Melissa, uh, two kids, my three-year-old boy, which uh, that story just, uh, just, that just gets you right there, and a seven-year-old daughter, Abby. So and I miss him very much, you know. And we're gone. So. You're a blessed guy. Amen. Ken, thank you for being with us always, and uh, we, we really enjoy it. Michael, I know how much you think of Ken and how integral a part he is of, of your life and your ministry. Yeah, the, the, the music is really a very small part. Um, I mean, I, our brother 
being brothers is uh, about 95% of it. We, music is the excuse to sort of be together. And he actually taught me to drink coffee. This guy did. <laughs> At 40. Which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we have time for one more song today. Ken, thanks for being here. Michael, uh, your final song for us on today's program. Yeah. This is called I Will Bring You Home. This is from the book of Zephaniah. I haven't heard any other songs from Zephaniah, so there you go. Though you are homeless, though you're alone, I will be your home. Whatever's the matter, whatever's been done, I will be your home. This is your part. I will be Michael, thank you to end our program today. Pastor Kirk Heldreth and your church pastor. Heritage Fellowship in Springfield. Would you close our time in prayer here, this, this program today? Yes. Father, you have ministered to us through one who understands your word and is able to teach through song. You've revealed yourself and reminded us again of the wonder of your love, the power of your grace, 
the fact that we have hope in this fallen world. And we surrender ourselves anew to you, praying that from this time of worship, you would be pleased to bring glory to yourself as you continue to mend our brokenness and reveal the power and the wonder of your Son in us, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you for joining us for this special edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Take a moment and email your comments about today's broadcast to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. More information about this program and Michael's music ministry can be found online at www.michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Chris Seagard, our producer Joe Carlson, and I'm Wayne Shepard. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.